What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What? What's? When did what's up become a phrase? When did that snowball? When did that happen? When did people start saying what's up? It must have been like in the '60s. Maybe it was like in the 1820s. Maybe Tom, old Tom, said it. <laughs> what's up, young Tom? <laughs> um. Anyway, what's up? Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the Eric Andrews Lang Show. I'm pumped. It's obviously Monday. It's 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 definitely one of the better seven days that we come across as um, you know we get back to the fold. I was out on Saturday and I got brunch in Los Angeles, and I was like, "Where the fuck? Where have all these people come from? What are they doing? Why is everyone getting brunch?" Anyway, yeah, we went and got brunch um, last week. Played golf on Friday at Woodland Hills Country Club, and I think I, I'm going to forget. It's either Willie Bell or George C. Thomas, but um, one of the great architects of LA architecture in golf. And I played there a couple of times. With my friend Corey, really great guy, and um, played uh, played there a couple of times with him. I I love it. And ever since leaving Wilshire. I'm uh, homeless as far as golf courses are concerned. So, you know, uh, it, it's it's fun to be able to explore other places. Whereas prior, I would have said, uh, let's play Wilshire. And then, you know, it's just a whole transactional thing. It costs more for everybody. Um, so anyway, we played out there and it was fun. We played as a sixum and it was, um, it was me and Evan and it was Corey. Corey has a uh, a, um, he's done a lot of different things, loves golf. He's got one arm is sleeved up with black and white tats. Uh, and he has a, uh, smoothie spot in Culver city called, um, Sao S A O. So if you're down over there, check it out, say what's up to Corey. He's, uh, he's got a good spot and, and focuses on community. He had the, uh, ACL golf shop down there in Culver city as well, along with Michael Williams. Who was also with us? Michael uh, started a blog uh, a long time ago when blogs were uh, cool. No offense, Michael. <laughs> no, Michael's the king of cool, man. He's just—he's into everything that a man should be into. Um, bespoke living, and uh, he started so a continuous lean is his jam, and and him and Corey did the uh, the pop up shop there. And we played golf for the first time, and also were joined by Max Martyr. Max is a, uh, a a young restaurateur in Los Angeles. has a has a has a great uh, well. He calls it French, but I thought it was Italian. But anyway, it's on uh, Beverly and Crescent Heights, and it's called Marvin. So it was a it was a really cool uh, random golf club, if you will. And it was exciting to not bring the cameras. Uh, we just I took a few photos on my phone, and I just played golf. It was really a wonderful experience. I wanted to talk about it because two things came up uh, during the round on the third hole. The par five uh, that we we came across a group on the first hole, and this is a beautiful foggy Friday morning, just stunning. I mean, it's just one of these great days. And I was also on fire. I woke up at like four thirty and was just feeling good, you know. So it was it was a jammer of a Friday, and um, you know, so we're on the third hole, and I think I was bogey bogey, but with some center shots, you know, I was feeling okay, feeling potential. Um, and I, I, you know, we hit our balls into an area where you, we kind of came close to the group approaching the, uh, the other group on the, on, on the first hole old guys and, and sort of, you know, 
approach them and I don't know, my thought was, hey, how are you, you know? And, the, and their first words were, are, are you a six-some? Are you playing a six? And uh, I was like, oh, God, this is, they're not asking because they want to join. They're asking because they're pissed or something. And I was like, uh, I was like, uh, I think I was like, uh, we're just playing through. <laughs> and they were like, you, you can't play a six. That's against the rules. And, um, you know, I mean, my host was a little upset and I understand. I, I was, I was just like, dudes, come on, man. Like, what is that all about? You know, like, wh- why do you care? We're not. If we held you up, I get it, um, but you know, and and it, and it kind of it kind of got intense for a minute. And I was just like, I was like, I was like, yeah, well, uh, you know, we're playing through, but if you catch up, just um, just we'll let you play through. And they never caught up, you know, that was never an issue. But it did it did sort of click in for me like this idea of golfers having a severe sense of ownership over the game that they're playing. And I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you are not the kind of person who's going to say sixums are against the rules. Or maybe you are. In which case, I would like to hear from you. Definitely email the Eric Lang Show, the Eric Andrews Lang Show. I don't know. At gmail.com. The link is probably down below in the text. But uh, yeah, I mean, why? Why the? Why would you care where? Uh, why? Why do you care? Is it disrespecting the rules of the club? You know, on the Pine Valley scorecard, it says that the slower group should allow the faster group to play through no matter the number of players. And to me, that would sort of suggest the idea that uh, you, maybe there are foursomes, maybe there are more than foursomes allowed. And at Wilshire, you could play with however many you wanted. I mean, it was, it was an empty Friday morning. At Wilshire, we would play five, six, seven, you know, and Lakeside, they're notorious for like eights and nines and tens. Yeah, but it, it, but the idea that golfers have this ownership over the game and their game and the course, that, that really struck me. And I don't really even understand it enough to sort of carry a long podcast about it. But it just occurred to me that what do we own? What do we ultimately have ownership over? I mean, golf is this wonderful game that we play on, I think, what should be public property. Uh, in Scotland, that's the way it began. Obviously, we shared the the uh, the course with the with the with the walking public, with the dogs, with the beaches. So you know, it really is tragic that it exists this way in America. Um, obviously, again, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I, I don't have any great grand info, but the idea of this ownership over it all was very strange to me, and I was just wondering why do we do that? And hopefully, it'll change. Um, I know that for me, uh, being accosted by some old golfers who were not thrilled by, you know, our presence and our activities on the golf course that Friday morning, which I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like we all paid 70 bucks, uh, you know, that's all went straight to their golf course to maintain it for them. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I was like, why isn't it just like all good, you know? Um, but my thought was, you know. Kill him with kindness. Um, oh my God. Speaking of killing him with kindness, the other night I was on a plane and I ran into a guy, uh, my seatmate, um, Jeff Feinberg. N- never met him before. We were just made friends and we started chatting and yada, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, he was divorced. Uh, he, he's divorced and single. And we were talking about dating in LA and he went to Harvard or something. And, you know, he's like into sports and we were talking about work and, 
you know, he's does investments. So obviously he's the kind of guy who's like, the more people I know, the better. Not, not, I'm not trying to cheapen his, um, you know, our interaction at by any means, but you know, it, one of his, you know, uh, occupational assets is the ability to carry a conversation with anybody. And, you know, I guess the same with me. So we just were chatting it up and the guy in front of us turned around like before we even took off old guy, noise canceling headphones. And he turns around and he goes, I can hear you. And I was like, okay, I can hear a lot of things. Like I can hear everyone else in this cabin as well. And I said, no, I wasn't even being sarcastic. I was like, would you like earplugs? Because my experience is that uh, with the noise canceling headphones, if you pop in earplugs into those things, oh boy, you can't hear anything. Like, in fact, it's really, it's a really good night flight situation. When you got that, when you got that red eye, you just throw in the uh, earplugs inside the noise canceling headphones. Man, it is a tightly packed uh, sound coffin, if you will. And so, you know, I offered him earplugs. He declined. Uh, <laughs> shouldn't be too surprised by that. But then later, the uh, you know, just like 15 minutes later, the flight attendant came over and she's like, "What do you want for dinner?" And I was like, oh, no, she said, before I ask you what you want for dinner, I need to tell you to be quiet. And I was like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> like, what? I fly, you know, I've flown, I don't know, like half a million miles with you guys in the past couple of years. And I've never, first of all, I've never heard, I've never gotten asked to be quiet. Much less, I've never heard anyone else be asked to be quiet in all the flights I've been on. With this, you know, particular airline. And uh, then she kneels down, like, to really extra get in my face. And she goes, well, I've been with the airline for 49 years. So if you'd like to talk about this when we land at the terminal with the pilot and the police, I can arrange that. And I was like, oh, you know what? This is never going to go my way. And I just... I just launched into a mode where I was like, I'm totally sorry. It was a misunderstanding. I'm totally sorry. It was a misunderstanding. I am totally sorry. It was a misunderstanding. And she didn't give it up. She kept going. She was like, you're ruining it for other passengers. Da, 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 da. And Feinberg was not having it either. Feinberg was like, this is bullshit. You know? And I was like, chill, 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 chill. I do not want to get dragged off this plane. I got my dog with me. I got, you know, the crew. We're all trying to get home. Um, but, but yeah, it occurred to me, this idea of, uh, I remember this thing that someone told me a long time ago. Um, you know who? Uh, the, you know what kind of person argues with an asshole? And I was asked. I, I couldn't answer. I was like, I don't know who. And and my friend was like, an idiot. You don't argue with an asshole. There's no. There's no benefit. You're you're never gonna get what you want. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't say I'm particularly uh, drawn to or um, avoidant of conflict. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was just one of these situations. And the same with the golf thing. Like, like, are you playing as a six sum? It's against the rules. And I was just like, uh, well, very sorry. Uh, play, we'll definitely let you play through if you catch up. The other cool thing about playing golf on Friday was playing with Max. He's a new golfer. He's been playing for eight months, and that was really exciting. You know, I, I love, you know, the video that came out on Friday um, on our YouTube channel was was uh, me and my golf played Penmar, the nine-hole course in L.A. with, um, you know, we, we just played together. But in that process, we ran into this guy named Craig, who I actually went back and forth with on Twitter for a minute. But he, uh, Craig was playing his first round of golf ever, which was really nuts. Like, it was so cool to be around. 
And so in that vein, it was really cool to play golf with Max on Friday because he's new and he described his experience on the first tee being nervous and da da da. And I can, you know, I can relate totally. I, I don't get as nervous anymore. In fact, sometimes my best shot is on the first tee now because I just stopped caring after that. But it was cool to talk to Max about, you know, just eight months of golf and, and where he's at. And the, the funny thing was, is at the end of the round, he said, uh, I, I want to, we were having like lunch after 18 and, you know, he kind of just sort of out of the silence, he just said, you know, I want to, I want to get to scratch and no, no knock on his ability. He's, he's a good golfer. I'm pretty sure he's shot in the eighties, uh, here and there, or, you know, he's, I saw he made a par. I think he made a birdie actually. So, you know, I mean, eight months of golf, that's pretty good. He's, he's got some natural talent. You know, I, I think the funny thing about wanting to be a scratch golfer was we all related to it. We were all sitting around the table there having our club sandwiches and whatnot saying, oh, yeah, 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 we all wanted that. And it was funny because Corey and I thought about how we were watching him play golf out there on the course. And, you know, Corey and I were commenting on how he's, how he's uh, been playing well. And it's, you know, he's been uh, noticing a lot of improvement and obviously golf crazed as you are in the beginning. And Corey joked like, yeah, you know, you're going to get better for a year and then you just plateau for the rest of your life. And I laughed because I'm experiencing that, you know. And so anyway, when, when Max said, I want to play, uh, you know, as a scratch golfer, as I as I continue on, I was like, you know what? I mean, I'm like, I'm like psyched that you want to get good. I think that's really important. I think people need to want to get good at golf. But at the same time, like I, I asked him, I said, do you think, or I didn't ask actually, I said, I said, look, I'm worried that, you know, if you, 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 you could strive to become a scratch golfer, but you might not enjoy the game uh, anymore. In fact, you might enjoy it less because becoming a scratch golfer is different than just breaking par, which I wanted to do. I even had a less lofty goal and I haven't accomplished it yet. But uh, but anyway, it was interesting to kind of hear the ideas of what golf is in the beginning and what it means to you and, and really coincide with this, you know, me and my golf video on YouTube, which I'm really, really proud of, actually. It seems like a lot of people really relate to that new golfer experience because at some point we all were. And I think that's kind of the thing that annoyed me about the guys on the first hole as we pass through is like, they don't know if we've never played golf. They don't know. Like, what? Why are they so fucking mean about it? You know, like, let's just ease up. Like, like, let's stop assuming someone's, um, you know, uh, you know, offensive rather than, you know, maybe, maybe they just made a mistake. You know, it's like that, the four, um, the four, um, agreements, you know, it's like, it's like one of them is like, no one's intentionally offending you. Like, it's like, it's like, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to assume that, that when I'm, when I'm feeling offended, it's you, it, it could be inadvertent it could be unintentional and that's actually one of the things my meditation teacher once gave me is this idea of uh allowing myself to forgive other people and basically saying you know um i i uh i forgive you for for you know whatever you did xyz um you know because it 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 very likely was unintentional and then it's not personal right and oh that's the fourth agreement is like nothing's personal like nothing is really at you. And in some sense, I mean, hey, those people saying, are you a six sum? You're not allowed to be. That's against the rules. It's not personal. It probably is a rule. And we did break the rule. And I mean, on some level, hey, they're right. We should have been smarter about it. We should have waited until the fourth hole to do it. Or, 
you know, who knows? Gotten a note from a doctor. They legally have to play as a six sum. Or even the flight attendant, you know, like uh, it wasn't personal. Like, like she, she doesn't know who I am. How could she be personally attacking me on a plane after having met for one minute? She did try to bet, pet Snowball prior and he growled at her, which I knew was going to happen. So maybe maybe she was maybe it was personal to snowball, but ultimately she's just trying to do her job and she doesn't really give a fuck. And you know, I mean, honestly, I think flight attendants talk too loud, but I'm not going to tell them to be quiet because that's like I don't know. I just want to go with the flow, you know. But I don't know. This idea that nothing's personal was definitely uh, funny to uh, experience, right? Um. So anyway, we're headed out to uh, the PGA show this week. I'm pretty excited. Go to Orlando. Florida is definitely one of those places where you're just like, wow, like, I don't understand. I I like it, but I don't think I could live there. I, I really got to spend some time around Winter Park, which is this nice little city within a city up in the north uh, of Orlando, you know, and they've got this great little nine hole course. And on Tuesday, we're going to play there with some group uh, with it with a Seamus golf group and some friends there. So I'm pretty excited to get take part in that. And just enjoy the PGA show. I mean, I'm really excited. You know, it's it's all of the friends from the golf industry descend upon this wonderful town and, you know, talk and play golf. And that's where I lost my voice last year. So I'm going to need to make sure I don't yell. No yelling. Um, and, but yeah, I'm excited. I, I really am. I maybe record some podcasts down there. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just going to be a good week. And then, and then come back. And Saturday we're going to be down in... Uh, we come back on Friday, and then Saturday we're going to be down in Torrey Pines. I'm going to I'm going to host an event for Omni Hotels, which I think will basically consist of a Q and A potentially with Tony Finau. I'm not sure, um, you know, for like an hour or something. And then I drive back to LA, and then Monday, Sunday or Monday, we're going to go to Arizona for the waste management. And I did put a call out on Instagram, seeing if there was someone or some way we could do a meetup. But I don't really have any clarity on that. I don't know how that would work, but. I would love to do that, um, as I'm sure uh, anyone who's in Arizona. If you have any ideas, let me know. Uh, if you're and, and all I wanted to add to you, those of you driving, um, you know, I realize that not all of you are driving. So, some of you are actually in a lawnmower, which is great, um, and that's just really exciting. I thought that was great. It, it's really this full circle thing. I got a few messages from people saying that they were, you know, on the golf course doing greenskeeping. And I smiled because I'm like, dude, that's so cool. Like, how full circle is that? Like, we just, we're like Fight Club, you know? Like, we take care of each other. Uh, it's like a secret little society over here. We're just telling, uh, you know, telling the uh, the old, <laughs> oh, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything offensive, but, you know, just, just, uh, just sort of doing it our way. You know, we're taking the game back and that's what's awesome. You know, we're going to keep doing it and we're going to do it politely and we're going to do it with reverence and we're going to do it patiently. And, you know, we're going to keep, keep updating stuff. Oh, also, hey, happy Monday, because uh, I think tomorrow we're going to release some new uh, merch on the website there. We got some new linen dad hats that say, uh, I can't remember. what I think we got one that says Random Golf Club. We got one that says Eric Anders Lang Show, obviously, fan of the pod. And then we also have a logo that we're releasing that's for Random Golf Club. So check it out. Um, we have had some, uh, switchovers with the merchandise. So we had to wait a little bit before we started, uh, selling the stuff again, but now we got it and I'm excited to start sending it off to people. So definitely from all around the world, we will ship. Um, I'm for sure we're going to end up in some type of tax liability there, but, uh, you know, Hey, screw it. 
we we're going to do it. And I, I love that people are interested in supporting, you know, what we do, which is so important uh, to us. And, you know, really cool to see that it's important to you, too. Uh, so that's really cool. I, um, I'm going to take a break. I got to read a couple of ads and then I'm going to come back. I got some, uh, stuff to read some like letters and stuff. So, uh, just uh, wait right there. Okay. Don't go anywhere. Don't please don't, please, please don't leave. Everybody let's talk stitch fix a website all about finding your personal style, which we all know can take lifetimes especially if you're a golfer. I'm just kidding. I can log in and easily enter all my sizes and then I'm quickly connected with everything that I need. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. So just go to stitchfix.com slash Lang and tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. You will be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick five items to send right to your door. Then you try them on, pay only for what you love, and return the rest. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. Free! There's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or get your fix whenever you want. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, which is applied toward anything you keep from your shipment. Get started now at stitchfix.com slash Lang. And you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. So that's stitchfix.com slash Eric Anders Lang to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash Eric Anders Lang. All right, folks. You know my favorite golf shoe, don't you? I think you do. It's three-stripe life, y'all, and that means Adidas. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that when I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Tour 360, obviously, and uh, they've made a huge update to the Tour 360, and uh, the two letters that it's concerned with are the letters X and T, okay? The Tour 360 XT changes the game, okay? It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round. By the way, a light golf shoe is what I'm all about. A heavy, there are some other companies making heavy golf shoes, and I'm just like, by the way, I weigh enough. There's enough going on. I'm carrying a golf bag. I'm carrying my team. Um, Tor XT changes the game. It's lighter, so your feet feel even better after a round, and it still features that boost, y'all. Do you know where boost comes from? It And boost is cool because it only comes in black and white. I don't know if you noticed that. And actually, they the guy who made boost like was going to bring it to some other, you know, they, they were shopping it around, and everyone else said no. Adidas was like, I'll take that boost, even though it's only black and white. And what did Adidas do with it? They made it awesome. I'm looking at boost right now on my feet boost on my feet uh and it has an x-shaped traction system that gives you insane stability literally it's not sane it's literally crazy your feet will literally be like i'm crazy best part it comes in spikeless Ooh, that's tight the first spikeless ever in the history of the tour 360 crazy comfortable and perfect for the course get your pair at adidas.com thank me later follow adidas golf for all the latest and greatest that's all true statements right there check it out go support adidas because they're a good company good people i like it Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for the... You guys were only gone for like a couple minutes listening to the commercials. You probably fast-forwarded through them. 
Dude, I did laundry. I went upstairs. I baked cookies. I had ice cream. Now I got a cup of tea. Check it out. Ooh, nothing like hot tea after some hot cookies. Yo, if you're new to the podcast, you don't know about the paleo cookies. The paleo cookies were a pretty controversial item in the beginning of the podcast, and ultimately I decided to stop eating the cookies on the pod because I felt bad for people who didn't want to hear it and had to, because ultimately the people that did like the cookies, well, I mean, they didn't need to hear me eat them, but being inspired by the recipe was cool, and seeing people make the cookies on their own is great. And if you're interested in a great cookie recipe, it's almond flour, folks. It's not cheap. It's not a cheap cookie, that's the thing, and it's not really paleo because it's got sugar in there, but it's on my YouTube channel. Uh, I think it's the first video, actually. My first video ever, not a golf show. We break down the origin of the paleo cookies, my ex-girlfriend, and we break (laughs) I mean, it wasn't the sweetest relation. No, it was sweet. She's a wonderful person. Actually, literally, that's so weird. I saw her today in traffic in LA, and then I went to get brunch, and I saw another a uh, woman I dated. And I was like, huh. So, that's what's happening today. Uh, hang on. Mm. Oh, some good tea. Um, anyway, I stopped doing the paleo cookies because I figured it only detracts. And so, mom and dad, I'm sorry. No, I don't. I, I still make them, but I just don't eat them as much. Um but it was a fun thing to give to the de- the guests of the show and see if they liked him. And, uh, you know, whatever. John C. McGinley wasn't a huge fan, and every once in a while I'd break him out for a good guest. Um, so anyway, we're back. The pod is live. Um, I got a couple questions. Okay. First is from Jared. Jared says, great pod today. You answered one of my questions, but as I listened, I began to wonder the origin of Snowball's name. And if it had something to do with Snowball from the show Rick and Morty. If not, please watch the Lawnmower Dog episode. It's hilarious. Anyway, keep up the great content, bro. Cheers. Uh, first, thanks for the letter, man. And, and thanks, everyone, for listening. You know? Even even not... You don't have to send a message in to get a thank you. Thank you just for listening. I, I really do appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, Mom and Dad. And, you know, I just think it's one of these things where we're growing, y'all. We are, I was going to make a really bad analogy, like uh, comparing it to something negative, like when negative things grow, like, you know, I could compare it to a snowball. Okay, anyway, moving on. Um, That's not a negative thing. So the origin of snowball, hang on, I I thought I was ready to talk. I chugged a bunch of tea because the cookie makes you really thirsty. Oh, fuck. And then I got something in my throat. Um. All right, I'm sorry that was disgusting. This three minutes has been a waste of time. I apologize. Okay. The origin of Snowball. All right, so as you may or may not know, dogs <laughs> dogs have... Uh, I had a dog with my ex. We had three. And when we split, I was like, you know what? You keep them because you're, you know, you're, it's a more sustainable life. Um, <clears throat> so... She kept the dogs, and, you know, I mean, it did make me sad, but at the same time, it was just what's best for them, you know. Uh, so then, um, then it, you know, then I went and got a dog, and I was like, I'm not going to pick a dog. I'm just going to take the first dog at the pound that I make eye contact with, and that, hang on, and that turned out to be Snowball. Uh, I walked in, and this cute little white dog just literally, uh, as soon as I walked in, um, 
I said, I'm just going to take the first, sorry, I got this thing with the mic. There we go. As soon as I walked in, I was like, there's, I'm just going to take the first dog that I make eye contact with. And I literally opened the door to the pound and there's like 20 dogs immediately in view. And this little white dog just sits up, pops his head around, turns it, looks at me, stares at me. And I'm like, there's my dog. And I go to the counter and I'm like, uh, yeah, I think that's my dog. Anyway, I'm like, that's my dog. So I go and I go through the whole thing. And they're like, do you want to meet it first? Do you want to do whatever? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't care. I'm just taking it. It's like, it's done. Like, what am I going to evaluate in five minutes, whether or not he's a good or a bad dog? Um, and, uh, you know, and then we, so I take him for a walk and whatever. I mean, he's a dog. He's a dog. Like he's, you know, he's not going to growl at me right there. He's, he knows the drill. He's trying to get out of there. He's like, this place is death. That guy, that's my meal ticket. So, of course, he manipulates me into, uh, you know, taking care of him for the rest of his fucking life. Right, bud? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We have a very healthy relationship. Uh, you're very nice to everyone who comes over. And, um, yeah, you definitely pull your own weight around here, which is nice. He's just staring at me. He's, you know, Snowball has a German accent. I don't know if you've heard. Snowball. Snowball, where are you? He's like, I will not present myself for you. There is literally nothing you can do since the day we met to impress me. As soon as you fell for the eye contact trick, I completely lost respect for you. He's like in the kitchen having his own tea right now with like a beret. And I hate the way you make your tea. It is inferior. You, you drink tea for cats. Okay, moving on. Anyway, um, oh, yeah, so Snowball. So anyway, then I'm checking out of the pound, and they're like, that's nice of you to take an older dog. And I was like, what uh, uh, What do you mean older dog? Like, what, how much older are we talking here? She was like, well, he, we, he's like 10. And part of me was like, oh, good, because like, you know, then if it's not a match, then it's sort of a... The relationship isn't quite, not quite as long. Uh, I feel like I'm just, I'm an asshole. I'm a jerk. But you know, seriously, I was like, well, you know, I mean, hey, if it doesn't work out, then it's you know half the. He's what are you going to live to thirty years old? <laughs> he's like, I will live as long as I have to to conquer you. Um, he really does want to kill me. I think. Um, anyway, we uh, he's he's. Uh, they say he's 10, but then I don't think he's 10. I think he's younger. I think he was like five or something. Anyway, there's your story about Snowball. Uh, I believe that's it. I didn't come up with the name. That's the point. Uh, it just just was the name. Anyway, it was funny because, uh, you know, Rick and Morty, um, uh, Dan Harmon, is um, we, uh, we have the same podcast network. So respect. Good question. Thank you. If you have any questions, send them to Eric Lang, the Eric Lang Show at gmail.com. This is from, I can't read it. Eric, I love how you always seem to be 100% invested in the moment and enjoy life to the fullest. The concept of looking uh, at every day as a new opportunity to embrace, um, to experience something for people, to, for for people to golf, from people to golf to culture is amazing. I see you all over golf social media doing your thing, and I wanted to know if there is a podcast or blog or something out there that would tell the story of how you got started. Keep up the good work, and what is the possibility of a collaboration with the No Laying Up guys since you both have great content and can make 
watching recreational golf. Incredibly entertaining. Well, dude, first off, thank you. That's a really, really nice thing to say. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I, um, I can tell you a little bit about how I got started right now. Sorry to everyone who's heard it. Well, you know what? I'll save that till the very end. I mean, I'm going to go for a little bit longer and, um, and we'll save that till the end. Uh, but first, yeah, no, uh, I only knew DJ from No Laying Up uh, for years because he used to work at Scratch and we worked on season two of Adventures in Golf together. Uh, so that was cool. And then basically just met the rest of the team down at the Callaway event uh, just a couple weeks ago. So that was really cool. Those guys are great. They're all really funny. And, you know, they have their own thing going, which I really, really am entertained by as well, like you said. So a collaboration is possible. I think it just comes down to timing always. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I appreciate the compliments and I will come back to the origin story there. We're going through Snowball's origin and my origin. Basically, the net, all that's left is Jesus and old Tom. Um, not growing, uh, so, <clears throat> um, so this is Gio Helmond. Uh, so, um, anyway, he just started to play golf a few months ago and a few days ago, he saw a documentary from National Geographic of a pro snowboarder that went to North Korea uh, to the only ski resort over there. Since I have an urge to know everything, I researched a bit and found that they traveled with a tour company that arranged everything. After that, I saw that they also organized a trip to play golf at the only golf course over there and quoted, and Adventures in Golf was the first thing that came to my mind. I know it sounds crazy, but it would be one heck of a video. If you're interested, I can send you the link. Cool. Thanks, brother. Um, so, season one... I went back and forth with a British, uh, you know, travel agency to look into going to North Korea to play in this amateur golf tournament that they have once a year in, I believe it's October. Um, and I was like making inroads to go and I was totally down. And um, basically it was, I think it was summertime at the time. I think it was August. And it, the kid was on the school trip. The American kid was there. And the news broke that he was detained for stealing a uh, poster. And I, I read that article and I was like, you know, I feel like that's something I would do. Like, I would steal a poster. I'm very, like, you know, while being respectful for at least the history of golf and the game of golf and the people that play it and the elders and the, you know, the members and the, you know, uh, stewards and the caretakers of golf and, and, and everything, really. I also have a little bit of irreverence, so I feel like I could easily mix that up in North Korea and, you know, end up detained like that young man really, uh, God bless him, uh, ended up, you know, only recently this year he was released and then died. Uh, he was in, he was released in a coma and then died. So, um, you know, I mean... It's really sad. I mean, it would be one of those things that I would love to do uh, for Adventures in Golf. I, I would love to go that extra mile. You know, obviously, one of the things we need to do is uh, we need to make it work creatively, um, which is really kind of the easiest part for me. Like, I can, I feel like I could kind of make anything work, especially with this short online format. We don't need a tremendous amount of footage. You know, I, I am, that said, trying to make it a longer show for season four, which I'm pretty excited about. We're going to talk about that this week at the PGA show with the uh, scratch team and the new general manager, Sam Rayburn, who came over from uh, vice media, which is pretty exciting. I feel like that's going to elevate a lot of the things that uh, we get to work on there. And I've been hearing rumblings of a lot of new, really cool golf and uh, you know, uh, content ideas that are possible. Uh, so I'm excited, but yeah, North Korea, you know, you're totally right. It's right on the vein of what adventures in golf should be. 
but I decided to wait um, at the time because of my own safety. And then, then the same goes with Afghanistan. We were looking, hey, I got to take another sip of tea. Yeah, so same goes with Afghanistan. We were, I've been looking into that for a while. Uh, Kabul has a golf course, obviously. You can, it's pretty not secret. Uh, I think it was in Caddy Mac, one of the episodes. And I was like, I want to go there. I feel like that's almost safer because uh, you could go with U.S. military as an escort or as a, I could go, I found a U.S. military journalist. I spoke with him on the phone and um, you know, I was like, is it dangerous? And he goes, I'm here. I'm here. It's fine. I'm totally fine. I'm totally, everything's fine. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, you know, he's probably whatever. He's, he definitely has a different level of, uh, you know, relative safety than I do as a war photographer. And then I actually spoke with, um, let's see if I still have his name in my phone. I spoke with somebody over there. Let's say, let's see if I have it here. I, uh, let's see, uh, type, I'll just type in Kabul into my phone and see if it comes up. Um, I feel like my phone is slowing down. What do you do, Apple. You come out with a new phone and then you slow my phone down. Stop it. Kabul. Yeah, it comes up. Abdul from Kabul Golf Club. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Abdul. I called Abdul and we spoke about um, we spoke about me coming there. And he was like, I'll take you around. Da, 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 and da, da, da. He was very, very nice. It, I'll tell you, though, it was one of the loudest conversations I've ever had. Like, it sounded like he was inside of like a, you know a can of spray paint that was being shaken, um, but really nice, warm, generous guy. And um, you know, I mean, I would I think Afghanistan's way better, way safer. That that said, the North Korea course I think is a bit more typical golf course, whereas Afghanistan's this is another dirt course, kind of like Cooper PD in um, uh, Northern India. So anyway. Um, yeah. Now, I, I guess I'll just go briefly into um, the the story because a lot of people do kind of ask that, and I don't really know which podcast it's on to send them to. So, if you know the story, get off the pod, mom and dad. You can unsubs- you can unsubscribe right now. Um, hey, speaking of subscribe, twenty thousand subscribers last week on the YouTube channel. I want to thank everybody who heads over there and watches the videos. I know a lot of y'all are, you know. Uh, you know, stressed, you know, you're, you're, you're jammed up for time and this is kind of going on in the background of your work or your commute or whatever. So you don't have time to watch the videos. And I, I totally get it. I mean, that's why we do both. Um, but you know, we started releasing the podcast on video, uh, on the, uh, YouTube channel and also just like, you know, there's a lot of other videos. Like, so we did a me and my golf podcast and then we also did a video with them. And, um, I think I already mentioned that earlier in this one, as I said, lots of time has passed since we started I've done multiple loads of laundry. I've had three cookies, uh, probably an eighth of a cup of ice cream, maybe a quarter, and a cup of tea now. Anyway, the blood, the sugar is starting to leave my bloodstream, and I might pass out. Um, so if that does happen, you know, I, calling the police might be pointless because at that point I probably will already be dead because it does take time for Jeff to post this and produce it and whatnot, but add the music and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so I basically, it's a real simple story, really, how I got started. I um, i loved golf. I mean, sorry, <laughs> I'm really not doing well right now. I, I didn't love golf. I hated golf. I loved photography, and I was always into photography. I would take pictures in elementary school. I had a little dark room. I just loved it, and I was a troublemaker. I did a lot of drugs. I was always uh, an outcast. I was, even before I did drugs, I was like 
trying to high five the teachers, look up the girls' skirts. I was just a mess. Like I was like hiding the chalk. I was holding my breath and falling over, breaking Snapple bottles, pouring hydrochloric acid on the floor and burning my initials into the carpet. Um, I was like, you know, just like I would basically throw all my school books away the day that I got them. Uh, later on, I would just sell stuff and then go buy weed with it. Um, I would walk around in a bathing suit with no shirt and they would be like, you have to have clothes on. You're in school. And I would be like, but I don't, I'm, I, this is, I'm natural. Uh, and anyway, I was just a troublemaker. Like I was just a class clown and just, uh, all around, you know, mess. But then I found photography and I really fell in love with it as an art form. And I totally looked to Ansel Adams and Cartier-Bresson. Cartier-Bresson. Snowball, do you know who Cartier-Bresson is? Henri Cartier-Bresson. He's a French photographer, obviously. And, you know, he was always about capturing that momentary street glimpse of life. Like the, the, every every um, uh, cafe you go into, there's a picture of the kid with a baguette running down the street, a black and white vertical photo. He's, like, running with the baguette in his hand. That's, that's Cartier-Bresson. Uh, Ansel Adams, uh, obviously was really into nature and he would take his mule and pack it up with 80 pounds of negatives and lenses and eight by 10 cameras. And, you know, he was one with nature and very patient. And, and in some sense between the two of those is where I found my style, um, which was, you know, very similar to what I film now, uh, in golf. And <clears throat> I was sort of working on that at a restaurant in Manhattan. I was like, uh, early twenties, just, just, I had just gotten sober at the age of 20 9-11 happened, and I was waiting tables at this shitty diner on the Upper West Side, and I got fired uh, because I asked for vacation, and they said I couldn't take vacation, and I took the vacation anyway, and then I came back, and I said, where's the schedule? And they said, "There, it's right there, but you're not on it. And I was like, why? And they're like, because you asked for vacation, and we said no, and then you took it. Anyway, I mean, come on, it was Christmas. It was a Jewish deli. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Um... <laughs> I was like, come on, guys. Um, and uh, I mean, I did. I, I learned a lot about cuisine, uh, deli cuisine, though. Matzo ball soup, rugelach. Um, anyone know what's up with an egg cream? Anyone have an egg cream out there? If you've had an egg cream, you're smiling right now because they're disgusting. It's milk and seltzer, basically. Ugh, gross. It's basically like a carbonated milkshake. It's just so foul. Um, but they did have, um, um, what's the, uh, it's not root beer. It's the, um, oh, what's the, what's the drink? I can't think of it. Um, oh, I was going to break. I'm going to go crazy now. Dr. Brown's vanilla, vanilla soda. What was it? Hang on. I got to find it. Cream soda. Cream soda, it's just the most delicious yet disgusting beverage you can acquire. Anyway, um, I got fired from there, and then I needed a job, so I found a job with a photographer named David LaChapelle. This is in my early 20s, 22 or something, and I worked for him. I was his, basically, I just, it was his bitch. I did everything. I would get him orange juice. I would, uh, you know, I would travel with him. I would uh, t- take the trash out, open the studio, close the studio, answer the phone, manage the interns. I would develop the film. I would coordinate with the retoucher. I would clean the camera. I would whatever. I would do everything. I mean, granted, there were a bunch of people working there, but 
I became kind of the closest uh, guy to David. We became really friendly. Side note, David actually, he was gay, he still is gay, and really, really was interested in me also being gay. Um, you know, I mean, could it have been a Me Too moment? I don't think so. Like, he, like the really, the, the most egregious thing he did was he, uh, he had this, like, jacket, and we were shooting, and he took the jacket and put it around my shoulders, and he was like, you can have my jacket. And I was like, kind of like, and there's like, you know, there's like 50 people at the photo shoot. And I was kind of like, uh, I don't want to wear the jacket, but now what do I do? Like, is that insubordination? So uh, a couple of days later, we were like alone. And I was like, hey, David, just so you know, I'm not gay. And he's like, I know. And I was like, no, I mean, I'm not gay and I'm not going to be gay. And I don't want you to, um, you know, uh, make jokes that I might become gay for you, my employer. And he was like, no problem, done. And it was done. And, and you know, I mean, it, that's why it's not a Me Too moment is because David is a really good dude. Like, as crazy as people will say he is, and, you know, he would agree, um, he he always understood that boundary, which was really a good model. I mean, as crazy as, crazy as he was and as, as willing as David LaChapelle was, not David Chappelle, not the black comedian. I'm talking about David LaChapelle. The, uh, he was from Connecticut and just a white dude who was a really... He is a really great photographer, and he's definitely taken photographs that you've seen and music videos and everything and commercials. Really, really true genius. I, I learned a lot from David, actually. The, the thing I most learned from him was, um, <clears throat> I've told I've told the story on the podcast before, so I'm sorry if you've heard it, but it was, uh, he, he, um, he went out and did this job for Rolling Stone, and he was ultimately unsatisfied with the product. He was trying to make something good that they would like. And uh, he brought the photos into the editor, and the editor said, what are these? And he said, well, this is what I thought you wanted. And they said, no, we wanted you to do what you wanted. Try again. And so he was given the opportunity to try again, um, and he, he did a great job. And they were like, "That's what we, we always want you to do what you want to do. We, want, we hire you for you. And I learned that. You know, that, that's kind of been true for me now. Like, and, and even when I open up a relationship with a new client or, or company or even a, an individual, it's like, look, I, I am not going to give you anything other than me. Because you'll be confused, I won't get hired again, or, or, or if I do give you something that I don't want to give you, and I do get hired again, I'm not going to want to do the job. So it's a fine line, um, and I could be two seconds away from, you know, working the fry machine, which is fine. I think about it a lot, you know, this is a hard job, I don't know, like, I, it's very confusing, and, you know, I know that presenting online, it seems like everything's great, it's like, oh, it's like living the life, you know, but... There are a lot of aspects to it where it's like, uh, how do we do this? Like, I don't understand how to move forward. What do we want to do? You know, so that's just a, it's a little inside baseball. That's a little bit, a little bit of reality check. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's all good, but it's definitely like, you know, there's like, there's definitely moments where I'm like, wait a minute, how much money do we have in the bank? (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. We're, there's something wrong with that, right? Wait, I'm confused. Um, no, but it's just it's just always a thing. Like, we own our own business. It's always like you're always sort of trying to do as much as you can in the present moment and then move forward into uh, maximizing that next job. And because I care so much about everything, that's why I'm going to throw everything into it, whether it's my time or my resources or my energy or whatever it is. It's always going to be 110%. So... You know, that creates a situation as far as like a business where you're like, 
you know, a lot of a lot of people that are just business people are like, okay, so we can devote this to this and this to this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. All of it goes there. <laughs> Everything we have goes into Scotland. By the way, Scotland videos are coming back February 5th, folks. That's only 16 days away. So, uh, you know, please do not fret. They took a break. We were trying to get ahead of some other jobs. And, um, you know, we have... Uh, to do that. So Scotland Vlogs coming back. I think I may have already said that too. Anyway, I worked for David LaChapelle. Learned a lot. Ultimately got fired because I forgot his passport on a travel job. I, I, was, I packed his bag and I forgot the passport. You know, it was a major, major mess up. And, um, you know, he fired me, which, you know, that's fine. I get it. And then later on we, we talked and he was very compassionate about, you know, calling me his protege and very nice story. I was. It was the end of the day, and it was a Friday, and I had my cardboard box, just like you see in the movies, filled with all my little trinkets and belongings from the job that I had held for two years with him, and traveled the world, and you know saw saw so much, and um, you know I had this little box. I was walking out of the studio, and the phone rang on a Friday at six o'clock, and uh, no one answered. I gave it one ring, two ring, three ring. No one answering. Four rings. No one answering. I didn't want to answer because I knew it was going to be something stupid where I was going to need to like then deal with something. And I just wanted to leave. You know, I was done. I was not getting paid anymore. I already stolen as much of the ink cartridges as I could. And I was out. But the phone just kept ringing. So I answered it. I came back in and I answered it. And it was David. And I hadn't talked to David in several weeks since he had told me that I was fired. And I felt a bit weird about our relationship. And he goes, Eric. I was like, oh, hey, David. And he goes, hey, I'm glad you're there. I wanted to talk to you. We talked for an hour. He really got me pumped up about the next chapter of my life. And he was really very kind about, you know, how I was ready to move on. And it wasn't so much that I was incompetent. It was that I was ready for the next stage and he was just pushing me out. And I believe him. I take him at face value. And, you know, because I was tired. I was just sick of it. I had learned everything I could learn from him and from his whole business plan. And, you know, and, and he's a great example of just like I was saying, like, dude, it's a mess in there. Like the the, the business of David LaChapelle was just run like, uh, you know, it was like um, it was like triage. It was like the Superdome during the, um, you know, the um, <clears throat> the hurricane. Disaster relief, David LaChapelle studio. And that's kind of like, it's not, we're much organized, we're, we're much smaller. But I mean, even still, it's like, you know, we post a video and we're like, we're on it. Like, we're working on it. We're like picking the thumbnail, we're doing it, we're coming up with the title. We're all in here doing it. It doesn't just do itself. And, and that's kind of the fun part for me. So anyway, you got me really psyched about leaving. And then I did my own photography in New York for two or three years. And I was a portrait photographer, fashion, whatever. And I mean, yeah, it's hard to make ends meet in New York when you're a young guy just doing editorials for magazines. At, at most, they're paying you like fifteen hundred a page, but I mean, it costs you like it costs you at least that to shoot it. Um, and so, you know, I would I got some big jobs. I got one big job. I got I got one job doing a contact lens uh, photo, and it was one photo. That's all I needed to make was one photo. And I went into the studio, and it was the easiest day of work ever. And then they gave me the check. No joke, $12,000. It was the biggest check I've ever received in my life. And as soon as I got that check, I immediately went and bought a motorcycle for $1,800. And then I sublet my apartment and I bought an old camera and I bought like a, uh, some leather pants. And, um, and I got on the motorcycle in LA and I just left. I was like, I'm out. And I had to <laughs> put the money in my bank and I just, I rode the bike uh, to New York and it took me four months to get there. But anyway, that was, someone brought that up the other day. I love, uh, I, I don't ride motorcycles anymore, but um, back to the store. This has turned into quite an in-depth 
uh, breakdown. I'm sorry. We're going, we're going, <clears throat> we're going over time here. Um, so we, uh, so David, right. So I was like, I fired from David. I'm doing photos in New York on my own. And then, uh, and then I get hired to take a portrait of a man named Takashi Murakami, who is a very famous Japanese, uh, pop artist, contemporary of Jeff Koons, uh, very involved in the Gagosian gallery. You know, this guy is like creme de la creme. Like he's just, he is deep in the game. Like he's the Tiger Woods of art. And um, this guy Murakami is just, you know, he's out there. Like he's just a wild cat. And I got hired to take his portrait um, in Miami at a, th- at a thing called um, Art Basel, which is a lot like the PGA show. Um, and so I'm at Art Basel, I take his portrait. His assistant looks at me and says, do you know someone who can make a documentary for us? And I was like, well, shit, I mean, I can make a documentary. Like I can figure that out, right? And this goes back to David LaChapelle always telling me that I should be a documentarian, which I actually took as an insult. I didn't like it. I wanted to be just like him. So um, I, uh, I, uh, I say, you know, I'll do it. I'll make the doc. How much, what's your budget? And she's like, we have 10 grand. I'm like, all right, give me five of it right now. And uh, I'll go run out and buy a camera because I've never done this before. <laughs> I didn't say that. But I did. Never, never done it. Never, never done it. Never filmed anything. And, um, yeah, I just bought the camera and I figured it out. And then first job was in Spain. So I flew with these guys to Spain and then we went to, uh, LA, uh, and then we went to New York and just filmed with this guy. I just, I was a fly on the wall and then I cut it together and I had no idea what I was doing, but, uh, I did it. I made this little 30 minute edit, which I'm pretty sure was awful. And they said, uh, two things at the end. They were like, look, uh, that was really great. Also, Mr. Murakami really likes you. And I laughed. I said, why does he like me? He doesn't even speak English, and I don't speak Japanese. And she laughed and goes, I, I think that's why. <laughs> I, he was supposedly a pretty, uh, he was, he was a pretty tyrannical artist. So anyway, then I had my first taste of filmmaking, of, uh, and I, I liked it. And I started making kind of films for fun. And then I came out to L.A., and um, I started dating this girl. And this girl's uh, high school friend, husband, was a producer. And he produced many movies. In fact, he is depicted in adaptation by Ron Livingston, who's always talking about um, women in his office. I don't know if you remember adaptation. Ron Livingston plays uh, uh, Charlie Kaufman's agent. I'm sorry, um, not Charlie Kaufman. Um, Kaufman's agent. I can't remember. Maybe it's Charlie Kaufman. I don't know. Robert Kaufman. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, so Marty, I, I got a job with Marty, the producer. Marty's like, you know, I do the behind the scenes for Dear John, which is the Loss of Hallstrom movie with Channing Tatum and Amanda Seyfried. And there's this really cool story in there about, a, oh, you know what, I should actually release that on the EAL Classics. If you haven't seen the EAL Classics, you might dig them because they go back into the uh, history of how I got into filmmaking and brought my camera out on the golf course. And they're much more uh, documentary stuff. It was like before I became like, uh, you know, on camera stuff like a host that's on the YouTube channel. So I, uh, so, so I work with Marty I make this documentary about how the movies and the military are not that different because the movie is dear John, which is all about the military. And I kind of, um, assimilate the military, uh, hierarchy and, and, and work protocol and organizational tactics and communications and, 
you know, bureaucracy, politics, financials. It's all very similar. And I basically relate the two in, in a pretty interesting piece. And then the biggest piece from Dear John was um, in the script for Dear John, based on the Nicholas Sparks book, there it's just totally like the notebook, you know, it's like totally this like sappy novel that, you know, just I don't even know who watches, but, you know, um, probably not anybody that is. So anyway, in the in the book, there's a character with autism and it's a young boy who plays the son of the single mother um, played by Amanda Seyfried. I can't really remember the plot. I, I think her husband died. I can't remember. Anyway, <clears throat> so. Um, so anyway, we the, in, in Lassa Hallstrom, who's a really, really fantastic director, Cider House Rules, My Life is a Dog, great filmmaker. You should definitely check out Lassa Hallstrom's work. He is Swedish. And so in his genius, he decided not to hire an actor to play uh, a boy with autism, but he hired a boy with autism to just be. And there was a lot of stress on set about, you know, the implications of having uh, an actor who currently has autism. And, you know, but Lassa fought for it. And Marty, the producer who hired me to make the documentary of the movie, also was on board and they decided to do it. And so I made this really great 30 minute doc on on Braden, the young man uh, with autism who was hired. And really, it was about Braden and his relationship to I want to say his name was Don. Uh, Don was the there was some horseback riding in the movie. Anyway, this is a long segue. And if you're still listening, you know, cheers to you. If you're not, (laughs) hey, have a great week. Um. You know, uh, so anyway, uh, Braden and uh, Dan, Dan was his name, uh, you know, Dan didn't want to work with this kid. Dan didn't want to work with Braden because he just didn't think he got the power and he was very scared. In the end, long story short, Dan's crying. The The horse trainer is crying because Braden is this young man who really just comes out of his shell and the horse loves him and he loves the horse and it's a great acting thing and it's a really great little doc. And I really grew to love storytelling in that format. So I did all that. I got really deep into how to make films and I got into equipment because I love photography. And then basically a couple years go by and my brother for the thousandth time invites me to play golf with him. And I say no, like I did every other time because I'm not a golfer. I'm not interested in golf. It's not my culture. It's not my people. I don't wear, I want to wear a belt, a collar, a private club, money. And I want to do it. So I say no. And then the no echoes in my head for a while. And then I'm like, you know what? I should just try this. So I go out and try it. I have the best day ever. I fall in love with golf. Like literally, I'm just like, this is amazing. I hit a three wood. I hit it pure, but it's sliced. Oh, it was so close. And then the next day I go borrow his clubs. And the next day I got blisters. And the next day I buy a driver. And the next day I find out about used golf balls, you know, and then the next day, da, da, da. And I just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper into golf. And then I find out about Zen golf, which is golf and Zen Buddhism. It's a book. The guy who coached VJ the year he won the Masters wrote a book on how to apply Buddhist principles to your golf game. And so I read that book and I was blown away. I go meet the author because he lives in Ojai, about 90 minutes from where I lived at the time in L.A. And basically I'm like, this is interesting. So I just turn on my camera. And I started filming all over, and I and I because I realized golf wasn't what I thought it was, right? And if you go on my YouTube channel, you really should watch the Mike Mega video from the EAL Classics. I, golf wasn't what I thought it was. It, there there are people out there that don't fit the mold, the stereotype of golfers, and we all know that now, right? We we all see that now. Maybe you've been playing long enough. I don't know. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is your first podcast of mine you listen to. Maybe you're like, what's going on? But the point is, I became fascinated by the idea that golf 
wasn't what I thought it was. It was like a shapeshifter. It was like a hologram. And so I really wanted to move into that space. And for me, the camera was kind of a Ouija board at that point in my life. And it had always been a way to introduce myself or make a request or say, do you mind if I take a picture of you? Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And it was always this way of the camera really being the shield Right. And so then even at parties, like I would love to go to a party with a camera and a flash and act like Patrick McMullen, you know, like this, um, you know, uh, you know, party photographer. And, you know, because you also number one, you don't really have to interact with anybody because you just have a camera and you can just go around and basically have minor interactions with everybody in the room and everybody knows who you are and you just go around and do all that. And then eventually you end up talking to people. But it, it's sort of like a security blanket in some ways. So I started carrying my camera with me everywhere and I started compiling all this footage, which I'm now kind of back releasing. This was all for a documentary that I didn't end up making called Golf the Whole Story, which ended up turning into Be the Ball. And so Be the Ball is uh, still in production and we talked about it a little bit in the beginning of this. Uh, or, no, I didn't talk about that. Anyway, working on that still. That's about golf and meditation specifically, taking pro golfers and teaching them how to meditate and seeing if it changes their scores, which obviously, you know, there's a story there. It's worth it. But, um, but anyway, yeah. So, uh, just really became fascinated with golf and, and a lot of those stories from the beginning ended up becoming adventures in golf in some ways at golf in Compton, right? All around the world, we play golf in so many different ways. So that's all that. Uh, that's a long winded answer and I might, uh, I'm curious to know who listened to it all. Um, thanks everybody for listening. I'm just going to bow out real quick cause I'm sure we've gone over. Have a great week, and we'll be at the PGA show. I'm not sure if we're going to have time to do anything, but, you know, we're going to make a great video and bring it at you live. Well, not live, previously recorded. But uh, stay tuned. I'm pretty sure Thursday is going to be Amanda Balionis. That sounds right. Yeah, that was a great pod from uh, the event the other day over at the um, down there in San Diego. Um, everybody, so thanks for listening, and keep the questions coming. And I'll see you in the show. Yeah,